0: changes my whole entire life.
1: Welcome to Gritability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio is the beautiful and ever-radiant Ro Clausen.
0: Hello, I'm happy to be back in the studio. I'm not gonna waste time because we have another first today and I'm really excited for this interview.
1: Listen, today's interview is something that I have literally dreamed about. I dreamed about it when I was on the inside even long before I got out. And today we're gonna take you on a trip uh, through this interview, you're going to get a chance to see inside the main state prison. So our guest today, Stephen Matthew Clark. Listen, we are just getting to know one another. I had the opportunity to connect the other day uh, via LinkedIn. I got this message, and Stephen reached out to me, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, this guy's in prison. That's not possible." And next thing you know, we're on a Zoom call um, from his prison cell, and we're connected, we're having a conversation, and man, I am super inspired by everything that you shared with me, what you're doing, really excited to talk about that and dive right in, but first, welcome.
2: Well, thank you very much. I. Greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate the opportunity, and like you said, we had a chance to talk a little bit the other day, uh, both with you, Adam, and with Ro, and really just a beautiful conversation. I left that conversation really feeling fulfilled, um, really curious about you and your life, and just really um, inspired that you're doing the things that you're doing out there, and also um, felt a lot of love. I feel the love between you two, and that radiates to me, so thank you.
0: Oh, I love that. And really quick, because I've worked with prison wives and family members for so many years, they're probably scratching their heads like, is this guy on a cell phone? How is he doing this? Why is he public? What's going on? How are, How is this possible?
2: Yeah, great question. So we live in probably the most progressive state in the country as far as prison and programs are concerned we're underneath the leadership of commissioner randy liberty and warden matthew magnuson and thanks to those two gentlemen in the way that they see corrections in the way that they see holistic healing and opportunities we have laptops we have internet connection here at the main state prison and a select group of us that are working on graduate or phd um degrees at this point in time we have access to zoom we have access to be online and many more things that i'll get into here in the interview in a moment which i think will knock your socks off
0: very very cool i just wanted to clarify that this is totally legal you (laughs) you're not breaking any rules or anything like that uh because for real for years like we had people who would live stream from inside a prison with an illegal cell phone. We're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, but it happens. Anyway, I'll pass it back to Adam.
1: Yeah, no, I. as I said, I opened up saying like, this was a dream of mine, right? Like I was so excited to get behind a computer to have Microsoft Word and, you know, just be able to type up a document, the thought of actually doing a live, doing a video from inside, you know, all of the challenges that we went through, um, setting up the first ever live video conference from inside federal prison, man, the legal loopholes, people in Washington, DC had to get on board. It was crazy. So the fact that you have basically unlimited access, I guess, to a degree, like there's, there's some guardrails on here, and I'd really like you to to talk us through those, but what I was just most impressed the other night when the when your virtual background dropped, for me, like instantly I'm like, "That's a prison cell." I'm like, "Oh my God, I've spent many, many years you know in, in different cells, but a cell is unmistakable. Do you mind would you mind showing us? Your cell, what that looks like, and and give us an idea, like show us this setup. How is this possible?
2: So I will. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is. Let me just take this off, and then I have to put it back up. So this is my um, prison cell, as you see.
1: Now, and- just just to point out for everybody, like yeah, give a quick tour. I know it's not huge, but. Point point out for anybody who doesn't know like what they're looking at right now.
2: Well, this is a a six by eight traditional prison cell that many uh, folks in the United States live in. We are privileged. I live in an honor pod where it's a one man cell. Most prisons have two or three people living in a space this size. So this is, and there's, other things i mean i'm exceptionally privileged here because of the work that i've done and because of the commissioner i have podcasting equipment in my cell i think i'm probably the only person in the united states to have podcasting equipment in actual cell so it's amazing i I, i'll walk you through the suite this is well this is the bedroom (laughs) (laughs) um this is the desk in the study area um you know, I have all my books up here. I have my desk, the podcasting equipment that we have here, a little podcasting station, and then the bathroom um, over there. The showers are obviously in a different spot, and little meditation uh, set up back there, my stool, nice. and my cushion. Um, yoga mat over there. The yoga mat gets rolled out usually every morning for a nice practice. Um, so that's that's a that's a little overview of the cell
1: and the guitar,
2: just... the, and guitar. the guitar.
1: Let's yeah. let's not skip over that because aside from a yoga mat, meditation space, there are just so many things to unpack here. As someone who spent a lot of time in prison cells and the ideal you know like same thing I had a guitar for a short period that's a big deal um are they metal strings or acrylic strings
2: a great question they are metal strings wow they yeah for well you know the deal uh, just so anybody on this call doesn't know guitar strings are notoriously used for tattooing they'll clip the I think it's the G string, right? They'll clip the small string and then they Mm -hmm. utilize that string for uh, tattooing. And the only reason why we have the strings here, we've had them for, since I've been here for 18 years. And when we bring the guitars up to have them restring, you have to be accountable for the strings. If your string is gone or missing, they take your guitar from you. Mm -hmm. I think that, that's how it um that's how they stay in place and, but there's you know as well as I do there's ways around that and there's tattoo guns throughout the prison all over the place
1: sure but the fact that you have you have a computer you have <laughs> you have internet access you have zoom access you have podcasting equipment you have a <laughs> yoga mat you have a guitar these are things that you will not find in, you know, as you said with the podcasting, you're not going to find that anywhere else. But the majority of those things, these are not things that we see anywhere else. Uh, and especially, as you pointed out, to, to get a single cell, that's a big deal. To have the space, you know, to utilize these things. So how did you end up um, where you are right now?
2: uh great question so i just want to say this as well this is really this setup that you see here hasn't been my life for the past 18 years by any means it's been since commissioner randy liberty came on board and his leadership style with an ambition of transforming these this prison into more of a norwegian model um, where people actually heal versus coming in and being warehouse it's more intentional incarceration what that means is there's several programs here now we have a yoga program we had a vipassana retreat like they had down in alabama Mm -hmm. we have a veterans pod we have several different dog programs we have a garden program a horticulture program a welding program we have a trades program um Goodness gracious. We have probably one of the greatest gyms. They just renovated the whole gym with all beautiful new equipment, Um, several different pieces of equipment to take outside. We have a new volleyball court outside that's being installed. And the educational opportunities are phenomenal. Um, Thanks to Doris Buffett, Warren Buffett's sister And the sunshine lady foundation and i love Mm. doris god rest her soul the opportunities that she created and also now the pell grants being back in place that has really opened the doors for a lot of different change here and how i'm at where i'm at today i live in an honor pod and I'm. i think i'm in this position now because of the work adam that i've done over the past 18 years of being here Obviously, you know, as well as I do, they don't just give you this stuff. It takes a lot of dedication, a lot of time to be trusted, and it takes them seeing your actions, right? So I think that's that's probably the short but long answer.
1: <laughs> Ro, I see you got a question. I've got all sorts of Same. questions Same. and comments like, whoo, but please jump in here.
0: Well, first of all, I think that's huge. And I think you need to be commended for that because that isn't necessarily the route that majority of people take, especially when they're facing the amount of time that you are facing. Um, So, oh, which way do I want to go? I want to go back and ask questions about what you said earlier about the honor pod and the way that that you guys are, um, or the prison itself is modeling the Norwegian, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Norwegian model. Model, but... First and foremost, how did you decide to choose the route that got you to the honor pod versus the very understandable, not saying it's the right way to go, but the understandable route that a lot of people take, like I'm going to join up with a gang or I'm going to, you know, it's, it's my life and they, they're taking it away from me or the majority of my life. So I'm going to just do prison. And do, you know, become hard and that kind of thing. How did you go into the other direction? Or did you start one way and then kind of go the other way? What did that look like? What was that trajectory?
2: Thank you. And that's such a huge and really, really important question. Um, So in 2006, i just kind of give you a quick summary. In 2006, I was in a fight in my home with somebody that was an acquaintance slash friend. And unfortunately, that person lost his life, and I made some horrific choices. Being under the influence, I panicked and lied and made things uh, a horrible situation a lot worse and ended up in prison. Um, What we thought would be a self-defense case turned into a 43-year prison sentence with a murder. Um, You know, getting charged with murder and actually being convicted of murder. And I think my change is my victim's mom, his name is Robert Wagner, by Wagner, by the way, I wanna give him a name. Uh, His mom has been a huge advocate and a support system for me since being in here. And what I mean by that in the county jail, I think she was my saving grace. She wrote me letters that expressed forgiveness. She wrote me letters that expressed understanding. And in addition, She wrote me letters that expressed support, and that was huge. So, bro, getting here in 2007, when I was finally sentenced, I really felt like my life was over. 43 years is a, it's a really big number to swallow. It's not Adam's number, life, of course, but it's still a pretty significant number. She came to the prison and sat across from me at the, one of the tables up here, held my hands and you know, humbly just said, I forgive you and, you know, I want to see you do good things because I know you are a good person. And she said, I'll help you fight your case and I'll help you get out of here. And she has, she's helped me fight my case since the beginning. So I knew, you know, I had been struggling with mental health and with substance abuse prior to coming in and getting here. I knew I needed to take significant responsibility for the choices that led me here, for the choices that led up to the incident on Valentine's Day night of 2006. So it was a conscious choice. It really was a conscious choice. Even in um, leaving from segregation, where they put you for a few weeks on intake, and then they send you to another intake pod, I knew, like... I was going to do anything and everything that I could to transform my life and change and understand myself better, first off, but also do everything and anything I can and could to become the man that God intended me to be.
0: Wow, chills. What a beautiful answer and what a beautiful woman to be able to, I mean, I'm learning a lesson, to be able to forgive on such deep of a level. Wow.
1: Yeah, th- you don't hear that very, very often, right? That level of forgiveness uh, and her continuing support. I had read that when we were just doing a, a, a quick background on, on your bio, and I was really intrigued um, to see that she had been so supportive. Um, and I, you know, unfortunately, when you end up with the sentence that you have, You know, there's all sorts of challenges that come along with that. And I know for me, it took me a while to really come to terms with it. Uh, I focused on everyone else, right? I didn't, wasn't able to take that responsibility early on, but it sounds like, you know, you were very accepting of your situation, of your responsibility, your role in it. That's what I'm hearing now. Uh, And the fact that you have her support and her forgiveness is pretty amazing. So tell us what that looks like if, because if, if I'm understanding this correctly, Maine does not have parole. So what is your course forward here?
2: Yeah, really, really good question. You know, I, I, when I got here in 2007, the choices I started making were not, And I want to say something, I'm not on a pedestal either. I still have a lot of challenges. I have a lot of struggles on a daily basis. I still am working on (laughs) several different pieces of my life. Um, So I want to say that as a disclaimer, I don't want to um, come across like, you know, I'm a a, a do-gooder to the highest extreme I am. But I still have my challenges in my life, meaning I'm not there. I I know I have work I still need to do on myself and I do that work every day. That's going to be a lifelong journey, the constant work. So with that being said, you know, the work and. Making that choice to take those response, you know, take responsibility for my actions that started immediately, Adam. And well, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you say the question again? I, I yeah.
1: What, it, what does your path forward look like? Like I got 213 years. I had by 2005, I had exhausted my appeals. That's when I hit my proverbial fork in the road. And really it was only because I got from the Supreme court that one word denied you're done. And it's like, That was my come to Jesus moment, like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, become, uh, you know, uh, this prison, uh, are you going to allow this to be your life, you know, build this reputation, or are you going to focus on, you know, finding another path forward on earning that second chance on doing whatever you need to do. Uh, despite the fact that it didn't seem like there was any opportunities at the time.
2: Yeah, well framed. Thank you. Um, yeah, since 2007, regardless of parole being an option or not, my ownership for my choices and the things that I had done, that was something I needed and no, deep down inside it had to be done. And first and foremost, I wanted to address trauma. I wanted to address substance abuse that I was a huge challenge with alcohol and drugs prior to coming in. I wanted to understand why. I wanted to understand why I was, I, I you know, why I turned into an alcoholic or why I turned into utilizing drugs. And I wanted to make sense of all that. And also, in addition, I think realizing I'm in this place I am in this place as a dark freaking hole surrounded by misery, surrounded by suffering, surrounded by anger. I didn't want to be that. My life was vibrant on the outside. You know, there was a lot of great things about my life prior to really dealing with a serious addiction. I love life. I love mountain biking. I love skiing. I love snowboarding. I love DJing. I love going to clubs, I love dancing, I love running, I love going to the beach. And for me, like getting into this place and really getting negative, like I went through that mindset for a little bit, but it wasn't a long-term option for me. It didn't feel right. And I realized, I read something way back in the day, so we'll get into that too, I guess. But I read something way back in the day um, Kirk Llewellyn he's a behaviorist and he said it best he said behavior is a function of the person and the environment that they're in and I'm like holy cow this environment's starting to dictate my behavior and what I mean by that is I was going in the gym for like three hours a day I was focused on like getting big and being strong and I ran a card table for a little bit in here when I first got here And I really did. I had that moment of just trying to find my footing and find my place. And I think a lot of people go through that. We see these movies. I think everybody can relate to this. We see these freaking movies about what prison is, and it's scary, right? We see Mm -hmm. the Shawshank Redemption. Everybody laughs when I tell them this, but it is a huge factor in my sentence and why I'm here. I saw Andy Dufresne get brutalized by the sisters in that movie And I thought that's what prison is. I thought I would be in prison. I would have to kill somebody in prison where somebody would try to kill me or rape me. And that was pretty freaking scary coming in at 170 pounds. You know, the skinny white kid, middle, middle class dude that never been in serious trouble in his life before. Walking into this place that I'm like, what? happened and where am i and what is taking place and i knew it's like i knew i had a choice it's either i'm going to become the biggest baddest like person in this place and i'm going to run this place and have that crazy mindset or i'm going to do everything and anything in my power to give back to make changes and like i said to become the man that i i was always supposed to be in my life the man that i was i just needed that to be brought out by doing work
1: Mm, well put.
0: So how'd you do it? Like, what was the first step, right? Because I'm sure it was so overwhelming <laughs> and you had that choice. How'd you do it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. This is, so this is like, you, you remember those little uh, things we'd fold up when we were like in junior high school, you had little paper that would open up. There's a lot of unfolding. There's a lot of unfolding with this origami right here time I think time support and I'll I'll be I'll say this this is a a crazy word to throw around in prison but love It, it took a lot of love by people it took the love of Felicity Rob's mom it took the love of my family it took the love of volunteers it took the love of the professors and the school teachers it took the love of Candace Powell from the Maine Hospice Council who brought hospice into this place it took the love of Bo Lozoff we're all doing time before he passed away I had a chance to meet uh, Bo it's taken the love of several other people Dr. Bruce Lipton who's a friend of mine um, John Bergoff; uh, Marnie Task a renowned yoga instructor Um. yeah it's just taken a lot of love the love of some of the guys in here too like We were setting, this is, Adam, I know you can relate to this, going through school and like wanting to grow. There's people doing all kinds of stuff, cooking hooch, fighting, tattooing, gambling, doing all the stuff. And I went through that little phase and how I did it is the time and dedication. So I remember when like my second year after I got done with just the, the foolishness, I was still in the gym all the time but I I was in school like I got accepted into the college program I think that's the first thing Ro is like you know I walked in I, I I reached out to substance abuse I told Adam this the other day and it was like it took a lot of humility because I've I've grown up like keep your dirty secrets inside don't tell people you're struggling be tough be a man don't cry wipe your tears away boy and fist fighting, I mean, we did a lot of fist fighting. And that was just one of those things. So I got here and realized I needed help. I needed to work with somebody. I really needed to get into my mind and my soul and my spirit. So I reached out to substance abuse. And I'm sure this is a challenge across the nation. Reach out to substance abuse. I get a little piece of paperback in the mail. It's literally this big, and it says, when you have two years or less left on your sentence, please reapply. We don't provide services until you're almost out of here. And I'm like, I have a 43-year prison sentence. I'm reaching out for help, and you're telling me that I can't get services until I'm down to two years? What the heck is going on? In almost like a divine intervention, row, it was walking into somebody's cell that I knew. He had a stack of books, almost similar to the books that I have on my shelf, but his were in the corner over by his door. And on the top was substance abuse counseling. And I said, what is this? He said, man, I'm going to school to be a substance abuse counselor. I said, how do I do it? How do I sign up? Enthusiastic and excited. And then underneath, he had mental health counseling and a few other books, and that became my mission. It's like, I need to get into school, and I need to get educated. So that was the first part of it.
1: Wow.
0: I love that. You guys remind me so much of each other when, Adam, when you were inside. And I said that the other day. I'm not just saying that from what I hear now. There's just so many similarities, and I love that because... When Adam was inside, he was the person that obviously I could point to, but a lot of people pointed to like, if he could do it with this sentence and he's not going down that not so great road, then, you know, they would tell their loved one, then you could do it. And I feel like you're that person now because wow.
1: Without a doubt. And that's, and I shared this with you the other night when we had an an opportunity to speak, there were immediately so many Uh, So many things that I recognized in you that I saw in myself, right, that were a reflection. I'm like, wow, to hear what those key elements were in your personal transformation, the things that have been most influential, you know, my story is very similar. So I I really want to highlight that because that's by design, right? If we see that this is the possible, this is the likely outcome when you give people the opportunity to, to be involved in education, to connect with people who show you love and love, man, that's a scary term to throw around in prison, right? Like love and trust, uh, to security professionals. They're going to be like, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you talking about? If there's love, that means there's manipulation, and no, that's not the case. I just want to be clear here, and I seek to promote this every opportunity that I get. Those persons in positions of authority, whether they were internally, they were prison staff members, or people coming in from the outside community, Marshall, a U.S. attorney, position of authority, when they came in the compassion, the love that they showed me is what allowed me to maintain or, or built the confidence in myself, the belief in myself. Um, and especially, you know, during those times where, man, there was there was a, a lot of reasons why, you know, um, I could have very easily gone the other way. I needed that. For me, it was that need to be loved to have that level of fulfillment that kept me Mm. on course. Um, Very fortunate to receive that. So that's the one side of it. I do want to point out the other side that, you know, Roe pointed out that I was held in a certain regard, right? And with that came (laughs) an additional amount of attention that was placed on me that was not always positive, as you said, when you have a longer sentence, they're like, "Well, wait till you're two years, you know, from release, and then you can get into this program." Well, I pushed forward to get involved in different education, different programs, and when I was admitted in, you know, there was generally a little bit of uh, resistance from some authority members who said, "He shouldn't be in there. He's got too much time." That spot should be for someone else. And then when I started leading, the concern became, what's his angle here? What is he angling to do? Because he's got a life sentence. There's got to be an angle. He can't just genuinely want to help people share what he's learning. So I'm curious to what your experiences has been, because there's so many parallels thus far. I suspect you may have run into some of those same challenges.
0: And not just you, me. I mean, it trickled down to us at visit where people would be like, kick them out after I drove six hours. So not to cut you off, but I mean, there's, it stretched far.
1: She She was directly impacted many, many times to where that negative attention that was placed on me. And I do say the the benefit that came out of this for us was when we talk about transparency, the way that we learn to live inside to be completely transparent. Like there was no difficulty being on supervision on the outside because it's like, listen, I'm physically, you want me to get naked and and show you that I don't have anything. I'm fine with that. You want to read all of my emails. You want to listen to my phone calls. You want to listen into our conversations and visit. We got nothing to hide. So for me, that was simple. But I think most people struggle with that. We had to learn that.
2: Yeah.
0: Sorry, I hijacked your question. Go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no, no hijacking at all. And you have any time after listening to you and your story, Row. anytime you feel like you need to jump in, do it. And I'll step back with grace because you've earned that spot, lady. You really have. You've you. done it amazing job supporting this man and holy moses i know what it takes um i've seen it i've seen it firsthand it takes a lot so you anything you need i got your back i support you thank you (laughs) yeah adam i i've witnessed it my so we start making these changes right in 2000 in 2012 I I got in school I went back and I got um, inspired to start taking a bunch of classes around substance abuse counseling so this is 2008 four years later I'm in classes for substance abuse counseling now and I approached the substance abuse department and asked them for a job and they say reluctantly okay we'll give you a job we'll let you come in and they wanted me to like pick up the guy's desk That <laughs> I went in he had a really messy desk he wanted me to file letters and send out responses like mine like the little one that I got in the mail and I said I'm not gonna do that and he said what do you, why aren't you gonna do that and I told him my story and what happened and he said why don't you put together a class so I did I put together a class and it was successful I mean we started in education and then I proposed to um, his name is Anthony Cartledge. He is Dr. Anthony Cartledge. He's amazing. And presented to him to, I said, hey, you have this multi-purpose room in the medium unit. It's huge. Why don't you let us do classes out there? He said, that's where we, uh, the staff has their breaks. I said, they're not even out there. They're in the pod all the time. Let me use that for a classroom. He said, Stephen, there's a refrigerator in there with the staff, food. There's staff computers. I'm going to let you go out there and I'll tell you what, you do not allow anybody to touch anything. I trust you. That spoke volumes to me, that trust. So, wow. 2012, I think I was the first person in the prison. I say this, you know, I say this with some pride because. I think a lot of people have tried the first person in the prison to open the doors for uh, facilitated groups to go on in a room without any staff present. And that's a you're absolutely right. So it's huge. You know that it's freaking huge in a maximum security prison. So along the way, though, every change that I've made, I'm always up against the staff saying, what is his angle? What is he doing? volunteers came in for a recovery program that was in here and they asked the volunteers they pulled them all aside and they said has steven asked you to bring in anything or do Mm -hmm. anything of course the volunteers told me that because (laughs) i was a good guy and that's been my whole like you know you go to visits like you were just talking about i'll get put up near the Mm -hmm. the staff like i'm doing something screwed up or and you just hear it over time, like we have some real nasty staff here that just say some really nasty things, but that's their th- thought process. Like, we're doing what we're doing to try to hurt or get over on them. Yeah. But the reality and the truth is, Adam, you know this, we're doing what we're doing because it gives us f- freaking a reason to wake up in the morning. Purpose. It gives us meaning. Purpose. That's right. If you don't, and Viktor Frankl said it best in man, Search for Meaning. There we go. We have a why we can, so logotherapy, right? What a concept. And that was one of the first books that I read in school was Man's Search for Meaning. And I just want to say, I mean, that's been, having purpose and meaning in my life is the reason, no other reason. And over, that's how we're all viewed. That's what I hope we can change. We're not all drug seeking, manipulative abusive violent people in our lives there's always a why of what happened and how we ended up here but staff i think hurt people uh, dr vessel vandekirk says it best in the book body keeps the score he says hurt people hurt people and just because you work in a prison doesn't mean you're not a hurt person because i've seen a lot of crazy stuff staff. i've seen some stuff that staff has done that's a lot worse than anything i've ever seen a prisoner do <laughs> oh yes
1: yeah. yeah, so
2: you get the book right there with you. Yeah, but right there with you. I mm-hmm. just got the little bit bigger of a version, brother.
1: Just just <laughs> to let you know, these these books on this bookcase behind me came home from prison and they mm-hmm. are well marked and yes, this is one of this is always at the top of my list and had a bunch of these that I sent back to the hole. Because, you know, that's a place of extreme despair and suffering. And I, you know, in my mind, what better time to read Frankel's words to put your suffering in perspective based on what he went through and how he was able to channel that, find that sense of meaning and purpose. For me, this was instrumental. So when, mm. whenever I hear someone, you know, speak about purpose, um, it's you know, generally it comes back to here.
0: Yeah. And I want to respond to something you said earlier about the staff. I completely agree that, you know, it hurt people, hurt people. And also, um, you know, like maybe they're just having a bad day, but also, I think I used to say this to Adam all the time, the people that were giving us a hard time. Now I have to stop myself. We had a lot of really, really good cops and administrators that we dealt with as well. And I want to give them props because I don't think you'd be here without, or be the person you are today without them. Nora, would our Susan relationship
1: folk Morris, a
0: hundred percent that mama I folk.
1: mama folk whom, whom I have the privilege of calling a friend, a colleague now and we just spoke to her the other day.
0: Amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. But we did deal with our fair share of the not so amazing ones. And yes, a lot of them, it's the security, you know, safety and security and the training. However, I think a lot of it as well is, you know, if these guys who are lifers or long-termers or however you want to call it in prison are bettering their life, I'd rather accuse them of doing something wrong or seeking out something that's against safety and security than having to look in the mirror, it's projection, look in the mirror and think if they can do it, you know, like among these confines and everything going on in here, if I don't accuse them of doing something, then I'm an asshole for not doing it myself. You know, Mm. one of those, it's that shadow effect situation.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's the shadow. And I have to say the same thing. I have some really, there's some, like I just said, Dr. Anthony Carledge, he's been a huge influence. Um, Officer Blanchard, he's been a huge influence. Officer Roberts, the warden, before he stepped into his position, he was the programs director. And I, I fell in love with him as a person because my good friend of mine, I'd worked out with in the gym for a long time, Brandon. Brandon, when Matt got here and I call him Matt, by the way, the warden, When Matt got here, Brandon said, Steve, this is a really special person. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, he's a really special person. He said, you know, he's the only person I got off probation. He was a probation officer. He kept following up with me and making sure I was all right, checking in with me. And when Brandon left, Brandon was in the prison when he left, Matt still follows up with him and checks in with him. Wow, That's the type of freaking guy he is. So I knew that this guy had a sincere um, heart. He was a good, he's a young guy. He's probably, I'd say, 35 to 40. But he's, like, sincerely, sincerely got a heart of gold. And he, I don't agree with everything. I don't agree with all of his choices, but I still respect him. That's what's huge. And the commissioner, the commissioner, Randy Liberty, I'll tell you, he, when I proposed the awakening exchange, in the Awakening Coaching Program back in 2020. I proposed it to the commissioner. We had a meeting over Zoom, and he said, Stephen, I'm just i going to let you know right now, there's going to be a lot of people that do not like this. He goes, they're going to be butthurt. Um, They're really going to be upset. He said, but one thing I want to say to you and let you know, I'm in charge, and they have to do what I say. And they said, well, thank God he's in charge. And... Over the course of time, it's like this new mindset that's coming in. We know we're understaffed in prisons across the United States. What I will say, I got here, they used to call, so we have a long walk to chow, right? And it's probably from the medium unit to the chow hall, it's probably, I'd say, close to a 300 or maybe a 400 Well, it's probably, it's probably, it's probably, excuse me, it's probably three football fields. So nine, what, um, a few football fields of walking. And they used to call it the bloody mile because there was so many assaults going back and forth to chow. Literally, I've seen people, I've walked over people on the, the mile before. And... Now, since COVID, we have to go to the chow. We fill up milk. If you drink milk, I don't drink milk, by the way. But if you drink milk and you come back with milk, um, now there's milk on the mile. So they it switched from being the bloody mile to the Milky Way. <laughs> People switch from carrying shanks and carrying locks and socks to carrying computer bags. This place is remarkable. I mean, we have a little bit of a challenge right now going on with some of the the K2 crap coming in on the paper and people abusing that. But outside of that, we have a really amazing prison, a really amazing uh, group of people that are supporting us. and people are pissed off too I just want to say that there's some really upset people here as far as staff because there's really still that old of draconian kind of mindset
1: mm-hmm.
2: when Liberty you know this when there's staff that treat us good and want to do good you know staff hate that they're like hug a you know the hug a thug kind of you're hugging a yeah. thug you're and it, it's a sucks that what i've realized you know through all my studies what i've realized through my own life experience what i've realized in my own personal experience is at the end of the day we're all humans like i don't i don't shit on guards i don't put guards down i don't say bad things to guards even if uh, they're treating us horribly i still try to meet them with kindness and love and we're human, and at the end of the day, I remember reading this a while ago. I'm sure you've probably read this too. Jarvis McCormick, I think. Is that his last name, um, Adam? I'm not sure. He did The Time in San Quentin, read all the, wrote all the killed uh, kids' books.
1: Yep, how, yep,
2: yep. I'm So he said that he was in the yard one day, and he had got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, and there was a guard. He's like, you think you're fucking special you think you're effing this you know like taunting him and Jarvis just waved to him and said have a good day sir and the guy that was with him he's like how are you letting him talk to you like that you know some old gangbanger he's like how are you letting him talk to you like that and disrespect you like that how dare you why don't you say something back to him and Jarvis said this has always registered with me for years now he said I get letters from all these kids. I get letters from everybody, from all over the place. He says some of these letters are from the staff children, from the children of the staff. And these kids tell me about their parents coming home so stressed out, so overwhelmed from their day at work that they come home and beat the kids. Oh, God. They abuse the kids and take all that stress and frustration out when they get home and I I thought to myself I'm like I could contribute to that I could 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 contribute to either a person going home and, and having a really bad day drinking beating their wife beating their kids or I could meet somebody with kindness no matter how they meet me and maybe just maybe they won't bring that energy home maybe by me saying something nice to them maybe over time it will change their mindset and i've seen it happen i really have i've seen it happen over time
1: man well put and and i totally agree with you on that we've witnessed it through um our experience over the last 10 years where we watched individuals change their perception and again it was it was you know just the experience over time and finally getting through and them saying okay, maybe, maybe this is for real. Maybe this guy's for real and, and what they're doing in there, maybe we should pay closer attention to this. I loved what you said about leadership, right? Um, for those who don't understand how systems work, you have to have, as a leader, incredible courage to allow something like this to take place Um, To be willing to take on the culture that exists within corrections that is, you know, predominantly punitive, not supportive of this, and yet say, no, we're going to do it this way and I need you to get in line and know that it's not going to be um, widely accepted and to know that the media often is not going to be as receptive. Media is getting better now. Media is getting better thanks to, um, you know, groups like Reform Alliance and other um, mainstream initiatives to bring attention to the need for more of this. I was on a call earlier today and they were talking about the main way. And I was like, yes, (laughs) I wanted to just jump in and say, man, I have a call later that I can't wait to hear more about the main way. And I really, really want to get out there in person. I've had an invitation from Commissioner Liberty. I had an opportunity to meet him at a conference. And when I shared just a little bit of my background, my experience over, we had breakfast together. I shared my experience, talked about coaching, how it transformed my life. He lit up and was like, you got to come to Maine and see what we're doing. And I know, I know without a doubt that, he was referring to you, to what you've established in there, to the awakening. And I am excited to get out there in person to, you know, get a chance to, to be in that environment with you, because I know you can tell us all about it, but to feel it, it's that experience, which you walk away from that feeling. That's what resonates That's what gets other people to buy in. So I am fully committed to bringing as much positive attention as I can to what you're doing in there. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation to keep this going. This is just the beginning. It's been an incredible episode.
0: I just want to interject and ask one question. I know we're getting short on time but as much as I love Adam, when he was on the inside doing all of this, one thing that bothered me a lot towards the end was like, okay, you could do so much more from the outside. So like, let's go. So really quick, yes. what can we do? Not only us, but the people listening to help you earn your second chance more quickly than 43 years, or I don't know how long it's oh, been since you've you been so in, much. please let us know what we can do to help.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I have some folks on the outside right now that are working for and towards a clemency package for me. Mm -hmm. Any support and help uh, with that would be so appreciated. We have formulated the Awakening Exchange. I think they have um, the website here. If you can attend the Awakening Exchange, come go to Sutra and sign up for the Awakening. You go to events. Every month we get together, we have a um, a champion, somebody that is in um, the field in the space of criminal justice, criminal justice reform. And we do interviews, but we also build community. And what I mean by build community, we have breakout rooms. We have um, opportunities to work together, to collaborate together in a couple of hours. We're doing trainings right now I'm developing a re-entry training with some of the, uh, the greatest subject matter experts in the United States on reentry. if you have a uh, need for re-entry. And in addition, through my master's degree, what I've developed is a peer-to-peer coaching program. It's called The Awakening, another part of our enterprise in the peer-to-peer coaching program really thinks about, and what we thought about when we put this together, when I put this together was the idea, most individuals in prison have had horrible social conditioning, so they're lacking emotional intelligence. If we can provide those skills, everything from eye contact to body language, the way we square up and talk to somebody, to active listening, mirroring back what we've heard, to setting boundaries, respecting confidentiality, to understanding what Maslow's hierarchy of needs is and how it works and why psychological safety and safety is so, so important to be able to self transcend and to set goals. So I think values and goals, because so many of us live a life that's not goal orientated. It's all over the place. Our values shift to meet our behavior. Our behavior doesn't meet to shift to meet our values, which it really needs to. So what we found by teaching folks these skills and showing them these skills, their life changes and the way they see the world changes and their ability to help other prisoners is profound. It gives them hope and meaning in their life, logotherapy. And then just re- programming and training the reticular activating system so to help me if if anybody has a good lawyer if anybody knows any pro bono lawyers out there I could use some help um, with that Um, but the support just show up I I love love the word love if you want to just show up and love me um, as a friend as a as somebody that's on this journey as somebody that's working every day to change my life That's all I need. I just need support and love, just like everybody else, I think, in the system of mass incarceration. You could also support me by going to flickshop.com, F-L-I-K, shop.com, and send a photo randomly to somebody in segregation. I think they have a, a random option. Just go onto that website and send, not to me, please, send it to somebody that's in segregation because a lot of people in prison do not get mail. That would mean the world to me. If you sent a letter or a card to somebody in prison, not me, but to somebody in prison that may not be getting cards or mail. I have contact with lots of people. I I would, it would mean the world to me if you would reach out and help somebody else out in prison that really needs it. Wow. Thank you.
1: Yeah. We love that. You're speaking our language and Definitely, we're Flick Shop supporters.
0: Good friends of Marcus.
1: Friends of Marcus. Marcus is amazing. Um, And you're amazing. Love everything that we've covered today. We are so much speaking the same language. And I know that Rose with me on this, whatever we can do to support you and to keep moving things forward, uh, getting the word out there about the awakening, we're going to do that. And I'm committing to a trip to main. We're going to figure out how to make that happen and this will not be the last time that you see Stephen Matthew Clark on Gridability. It's been another amazing episode. We'll see you back here the next
0: time. We're sending love. Lots of love.